our guest after nearly a decade realized that the path he was on was not gonna end up producing the results he wanted. So he started passive investing in real estate. In today's episode, we're gonna talk about some of the lessons he's learned along the way and how he's been able to take those lessons, invest passively, and start creating more of that freedom, flexibility, and fun that he really wants. You're gonna love this episode. Let's get right over to it. How can you invest directly in the same type of institutional investments that the richest uh, Americans and wealthiest companies invest in? Well, it's through private real estate syndication. And we have a new offering, Mesa Verde Apartments, that's available for investment for credit investors right now. You can head over to vonfinch.com slash Mesa to find out more about this opportunity. It is 276 unit property located in Denver's uh, fast and rapidly growing Arvada market. Uh, it is well positioned for a phenomenal value add with very strong returns purchased directly off market from an owner who's owned it since 1975. That's over 46 years of ownership and nearly 20 years since the property had any type of renovations to it. There's a lot of upside. There's a lot of greatness about this project. And I invite you to come join us. Head over to vonfinch.com Mesa to learn more. This is the Investor Mindset Podcast, and I'm Steven Pesavento. And for as long as I can remember, I've been obsessed with understanding how we can think better, how we can be better, and how we can do better. In each episode, we explore lessons on motivation and mindset from the most successful real estate investors and entrepreneurs in the nation. All right, guys, welcome back to the Investor Mindset Podcast. I'm your host, Stephen Pesavento. And today, I'm very excited. I got a new friend of mine, Seth Bradley, in the studio. How are you doing today, Seth? Doing great, Steven. What's going on, brother? A lot is going on. I'm excited to dive in with you here. And for you guys who don't know, Seth is a, is a uh, attorney that has turned a full-time real estate investor and is out in the world creating massive change and freedom and showing other people what's possible when it comes to creating a better life through real estate, which is something we love talking about here. He's also the host of the Passive Income Attorney Podcast, um, where he helps you know fellow attorneys get clear on what some of those steps are. So today we're going to be diving in to all things passive investing. We'll be talking about some of the struggles and strategies that Seth went through growing in his career and much more. So I think you guys are going to love it. But before we dive in to all things passive investing, let's get things kicked off with one of my favorite primary questions here. So we'll start by taking a look back at earlier in your life, what events or influences from your childhood shaped who you are today? Yeah, I mean, I, th I think the biggest thing was, was just my parents. I mean, I come from a blue collar background. My dad's a retired coal miner. My mom's a retired school teacher. And they just instilled a sense of, you know, humility and work hard and just stay until the job is done attitude. Um, now that I'm an entrepreneur, sometimes sometimes it feels like you're not achieving things, right? You're, you don't really have those uh, you know, you don't get a raise, you don't get a promotion, and you don't have this third party validating your success. So you kind of got to put your head down and just keep moving and kind of just keep feeding the beast. So that that's just been, you know, one of the big things for me is just the ability to work hard. I mean, us as entrepreneurs, we have to put our heads down. And sometimes we're putting in 12, 16 hour days where we would have hated doing that at our W2. But because we're in business for ourselves, 
it, you know, it feels different. It feels, it feels better. Yeah. I think it's kind of funny. I have a similar background. I grew up, you know, amazing, loving parents, but, uh, happened to, you know, grow up without a lot of money. You know, mom was a, a server and bartender making more money there than being the teacher that she was trained to be. And, uh, you know, a stepdad that owned a, a framing company and a dad who was in sales and in, in a similar position for a really long time in the manufacturing space and being surrounded by that mindset, there's nothing wrong with it. But what's interesting is that you actually learn the idea of extremely hard work. You learn that work ethic because people are literally going out and busting their back in order to make a dollar. And when you see that, uh, it ends up, for me at least, I ended up realizing like, that is not the life that I want to create. Um, but I'm really grateful that I got to grow up in that, also working that hard from a very young age. Did you have an experience where you started work at a young age as well? Um, I did not. So listen to this. This is actually really funny. My dad once told me, to put off, he didn't want me to work in high school because he told me to put off working as long as you can, because once you start, you're never going to stop. Now that's, mm. that's the W2 mindset right there. And pretty interesting because a lot of folks, they're like, oh, you got to, got to get a job as soon as you can. And he kind of gave me that, that different perspective, but man, it just goes to show you kind of that old school work hard W2 mentality and not making your money work for you, but instead you're trading your time for dollars. Um, and one other thing I want to share that came up when you, when you asked that is, um, you know, my dad took me down in the coal mines one day, um, we got on that elevator, we started descending into the, into the darkness and, you know, he opens up, the door opens up on this, uh, creaky elevator and all of a sudden you don't see anything. I mean, there's nothing there. It is literally pitch dark. And he's like, son, this is, this is where I come to work every single day, you know, nine hours. This is what you don't want. This is why you've got to go to school, why you got to go to college, why you've got to do all this stuff. Not that he didn't go to college, he actually did. And he was a teacher, but they didn't make it again. They didn't make enough money to validate that. So he actually went to the coal mines instead because they made so much more money than they would as a teacher. Um, but he just said, hey, this is, this is what I do. This is what you don't want to do. Figure out a way around it. it it's so fascinating too, right? Because I think my parents might have had that similar feeling of, hey, you know, we'd love to have you just be able to enjoy the kid life, but I had to grow up really young just based on our life circumstances. But, you know, it's like having to go to work in order just for us as a family to be able to survive. But I, I think it's so interesting to be able to note that mindset of being stuck, having no other feeling of other options being available is a place that a lot of people end up feeling, right? It, you're talking about your father believing that once you're in the in the working world, there's no getting out of it. A lot of people end up feeling that way after a decade in their career. And a lot of people feel that way after spending nearly a decade getting an education and then realizing the career that they're in is not going to serve them. Now, I'm a real big believer in finding work that you can be passionate about. And one of the things that I love about our company, Von Finch, and the clients that we serve is that, you know, most of the people we're working with, if not all of them, have this belief that real estate can create a better life and that, that there is a passion for growth and change. And one of the things that a lot of people experience is that they end up going and training for their entire life to become something. And then they go into that career and they realize that they're not enjoying it. Now, I'm a big believer that when you're making a lot of money, that you've got to take that money and then invest it so that you don't have to do that work. But that doesn't mean you can't find a way to love it. 
What do you have to say, you know, as somebody who trained for so long in order to get into a career that you believed you were going to be passionate about to then find that maybe it wasn't everything that you thought? Yeah, it's interesting because, you know, it's not that I don't like the work. It's not that I don't like practicing as an attorney. It's when you're forced to do it. It's when you feel like you have to and you feel stuck, as you mentioned, when you feel stuck and you have to work and you have to go to the office every single day and you have to build these hours that makes the work, even if you do enjoy it and it's challenging for you and it's good for you, it still makes it not pleasurable. It it makes you feel like a slave. And a lot of folks that I talk to when they start investing in real estate or start investing in businesses and they have other streams of income, they actually start enjoying the work a little bit more. Maybe they're not, you know, they're not going full time anymore. Maybe they're going part time or they've scaled back, but they actually realize that they don't hate the work. They actually enjoy the work. They, they like the challenge of the work and what they've accomplished. Um, but you have to get to that place where you don't have to do it to be able to get there. Yeah, I think that's such a good point because, you know, I talk to a lot of folks and they're at different stages of their career. You know, most of the people I'm talking to are making a couple hundred thousand dollars a year, if not millions, but they're in a place where they're looking to make some kind of transition. A lot of them are really focused on the past investing side and they don't have any interest of being active because they really see that as being a new job and they don't want a new job. But some of them are thinking, hey, well, maybe this is going to be better. Maybe this is the shift that I need to make. And it's interesting because as you kind of dive in and you start to understand why people are not enjoying what they're doing, you realize that sometimes it's easy to get kind of a closed mind to the a possibility that the career that you're in could be a phenomenally fulfilling and fun career if you could just make a few changes. Maybe it's that you have some other options. You know that it's not the only option. Maybe that's changing where you're working or how you're working or the hours or um, the type of work that you're doing. All of those things are possible. And I think it's really important to be reminded of that because when you're a high income earner, uh, you, you are in a position of great leverage. You have a great opportunity to take that money and be able to invest it, save as much as you can and be able to not ever have to work again, which could actually enable you to work even harder because that's really as an entrepreneur, as a, as a creator, I see the work that I do. I work even harder now than I did when I was a management consultant. I worked darn hard back in those days, but the reason that I feel like I'm working hard, yes, it's because it's my thing, but also it's because now I have a new alignment of interest, a new alignment of passion, a new belief in what I'm doing. And I've found a way to kind of bring that into my day to day. Have you seen that with some of the people that you know and work with? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, for sure. I mean, well, I'll go back to this. I mean, you had mentioned it before that I think the best advice is to start with your active income. I mean, I don't tell people, you know, even if they're a little bit unhappy, I'm like, well, just stay put. You're making a couple hundred to a million dollars a year use that active income and let's invest that passively and start getting some of those checks in the mail and then see where you're at, maybe scale back from that point. Um, And then for the other side of the table, the folks that have kind of already transitioned out, I do speak to a lot of attorneys that have transitioned all the way out of their practice and they're starting a small business, um, doing something else, doing consulting work. Um, Yeah, I see that time and time again, just like we do, we work tons of hours, but when you have that alignment of interest between, you know, you working really hard and getting results for yourself and helping others and helping your clients achieve their goals, that alignment of interest is a lot more fulfilling than when you're working for somebody else. So tell me a little bit, you were working as a full-time attorney, you were having success in your position. Tell me a little bit about what 
was that moment that you realized I got to make a change and maybe there's another option? Yeah, uh, there were a couple of them, but I think the big one, man, was seeing these, and it wasn't maybe just one moment, but there are attorneys that are, you know, 65, 75 years old, still in the office, still billing crazy hours on top of all the educational or administrative duties that they've got to do. I saw these guys at these big law firms and I'm just starting out. I'm associate. I, I understand I've got to do this stuff, but seeing them still doing it at that age when they're making, you know, well over a million dollars at that point, it's like, when does it stop? If I do everything right in my career and I don't make any big mistakes and I, you know, work my way up that partnership ladder, that's where I'm going to be. And I saw that and I was like, that's, that's not the goal. I don't want to be 75 in the office and kind of, I, I've worked so many hours and put so much time and devotion into that career that I've kind of lost track of my relationships, lost track of the experiences and what's really important in life. And what, what was, what was that feeling like when you realized that the direction you were going and the seeds that you had sown for so long that were now coming to bear fruit wasn't actually fulfilling or bringing you to the place that you wanted to be? Yeah. I mean, to be honest, it was a little disheartening. I mean, I was in school for a long time and I worked really hard to get top 10% of my class so that I could get a big law firm job out of school. And then you get there and you're making good money and you don't really have time to even think about it until you see those guys and you're like, whoa, wait a minute. And then you're like, well, what am I going to do now? How am I going to transition to something after I've already put all this time in? But, you know, at that same point in time, it was weird. I, I don't know what attracted me to real estate, but I've always been attracted to it. And literally, as soon as I got that fifth, first big law firm job, I house hacked into a duplex. And that was my first piece of real estate that I bought. So I started investing in real estate basically from, from day one when I started at working as a big time lawyer and went from there. So I, you know, even though I was a little disheartened with the fact that, you know, that partnership track wasn't what I, what it cracked up to be. Um, I saw, I already had another route kind of planned out and ready to go. Yeah. I think it can be great to start understanding what are those other options that are available. And I always recommend people to sit down and realize that if there's one decision, you have no decisions. You really need to sit down and kind of brainstorm what are the potential options that are available to me? Because, you know, kind of per the example we've been discussing, the option isn't to leave the job and try to find some new career that's outside of the industry. That's one option, but there's many different options that are available in order to kind of create the life that you want to create. And that can actually be the difficult part is that there's a lot of different directions you can go that can all bring you to a really beautiful place, but it's really critical to kind of get clear on what it is that you want your life to look like, and then understand how can you take those skills that you're the best at, those unique abilities that you've developed and how can you leverage those in, in a really powerful way? So when you had that aha moment, you had already kind of created some other options for yourself. What brought you into the space where you decided, hey, I'm gonna invest passively? Yeah, um, well, I started doing fix and flips, buy and hold, single families, small multifamilies. When I say small, I mean still in a residential space, so one to four units. Um, I quickly saw that that wasn't really the scalable game. And I didn't, and I got tired of dealing with, you know, low level contractors, low level property managers, vendors that just weren't really up to snuff and really weren't accountable for their, their work and their actions. And at that point, you know, I realized that I needed to scale up 
and get into commercial real estate. And I was already exposed to it because I'm a real estate attorney. So I, I had seen these big deals getting closed. I had helped developers and purchasers, you know, buy and sell these properties. So I was already exposed to it. But at that point, I was still kind of battling that, that mental game. It was like, I would see these guys come in and they're regular dudes. They're not Donald Trump. They're not, you know, some, I don't know, some guy that is untouchable or something. They're just regular guys like you and me. And I think that's when I started thinking, well, if they can do it, then I can do it. And I started looking into that. Um, and then you start networking, you get, you go to the meetups, you listen to the podcasts, you read up on it, you get educated. Um, and then I was, thought I was ready to make the jump. You know, I started talking to people and they were like, well, maybe you should invest passively first. I took that advice. I invested passively in a few syndications. Um, I, I knew all along that I wanted to transition to the active side. So eventually I did. Yeah, that makes sense. And but what do you recommend to people who are on that passive side and they're looking at trying to go through the process of comparing one deal to another deal? Well, when you're comparing one deal to another deal, most people look at the returns, right? They're just looking at those numbers. That, that's your instinct. You see a 17% IRR and you see another deal that has a 22% IRR and you just pick the 22%, but that's the wrong way to look at it. What you really need to look at are the sponsors. Look at the track record that they've done, make sure that they've done it before um, and, and speak to other people in the industry to see if, if their track record pans out. I mean, that, that's what it comes down to. The most important thing is the sponsorship team, the GP team, the folks that are actually going to execute the business plan rather than the property itself. Of course, the, the deal, the property, the market, they have to check out. You can check those boxes with your due diligence, but the most important thing is the sponsors. Yeah. So it starts with the sponsor over the deal. Why is that? Because again, you can fudge the numbers. I mean, you, you can change those numbers and make them look however you want to look. And unless you are really good at diving into the underwriting, you might not be able to recognize how those numbers have been, it, maybe not even on purpose. It's just the way that somebody underwrites one property compared to another group that underwrites a property. They might be a little bit different. And just that little bit of difference, let's say year to year rent growth or your exit cap rate, those things that can change those returns quite a bit by just changing the number a little bit that's going to affect those, those uh, projected returns quite a bit. So you really need to look at the sponsorship team and their track record to see if they've executed the business plan before. Yeah. So you want to look at their track record because at the end of the day, different people are going to present information differently. A deal that has a 14% IRR versus a deal with a 20% IRR, the 14% deal might actually be a better opportunity that's going to match your profile and risk profile, as well as the returns that you're looking for based on maybe that sponsor's ability to, to be able to deliver the returns. That doesn't mean the 20% deal isn't a great opportunity, but this is a big mistake people make. It's a big mistake that new investors make, but it's a big mistake that all of us get caught up in is that we focus on comparing apples to apples, but we really don't even have two identical fruit next to each other. We're really comparing apples to, you know, some kind of melon or some kind of crazy <laughs> thing that's not even related because they're totally different types of opportunities. Here's a big thing that I see sometimes happening from people. They're comparing a stabilized deal that's going to kick off cash flow consistently. And it's not focused on value add. The risk profile is extremely low because the idea is to simply own and manage it um, 
and that's the, the strategy. And so some people believe that strategy happens to have a lower risk profile. There's arguments over that uh, because there's less margin available for things to go wrong. Um, but many people believe that that is something that has lower risk. Now, someone else uh, might have a deal that is gonna do heavy renovation. And maybe they have a construction team that's in-house and they've done hundreds of these before and they've got a track record of executing and they typically return much higher than the pro forma, much higher than that projection. Now, comparing those two next to each other would be a total mistake because one is completely different than another, but we see that happening. What do you say to investors when you're talking to them and you're looking to give them some advice and they're getting caught up in, in that challenge? I just try to explain to them a lot of the stuff that I already I had already mentioned, how you can, it's not usually from a malicious place, right? It's just how people underwrite things. And you can show them, I, I, I've done this before for some of the analytical people. I'll just show them the underwriting model and I'll be like, look, if I change this rent growth from you know 1% to 3% year over year, look at how that charges the returns on the back end. If I change that exit cap rate a half a point on the back end, look how that changes your projected returns. And they can kind of visualize just those small changes, how big of an impact they can have on those numbers. And then you kind of start taking those numbers um, a little bit less serious and you need to dive in a little bit more. And again, look at the sponsorship team. Yeah. And this is why you got to bet on the jockey, not on the horse, because unless you're professional at breeding and managing horses, you're not going to know the difference between whether something should be a 1% rent growth or a 3%. If you look at any of the fastest growing markets in the country, in order to be buying deals right now, you have to be having rent growth that is appropriate to that market. Now, comparing, say, Columbus, Ohio versus Phoenix, Arizona, they're going to have different rent growth expectations. And even in a conservative, from a conservative perspective, they're going to be different. And so that it's critical, get to know the people who are going to make those decisions. And so uh, somebody who is in a professional career, they haven't invested yet. They're starting to build those relationships with sponsors They're getting more clear on that. What other actions do you recommend they take, you know, from the things that you've done um, that can help them be able to make better decisions? Yeah. I mean, once you get to that educational point, you get into the networking, you start meeting operators, you're getting ready to make that passive investment. I mean, the big thing is just taking action. You know, you, you've got to take action. I, th I think a lot of people, they, they get educated, um, you know, they network, they talk, sometimes maybe even they'll, they'll buy a program, what have you, and they just, you know, don't take action. At some point, you've got to take action. You're, you're going to learn from any mistake that you make. And again, if you're using your active income to invest passively, then you need to do this over and over again. So getting started once, and when you when you wire that first fifty thousand dollar check, it is a little uh, it's a little nerve wracking. I know the first time that I did it, I was like, "Whoa, what just happened?" But you know, it, it goes away when you start getting those uh, checks in the mail or those deposits via ACH in your bank account. It it validates everything. Absolutely, and and from a personal perspective, how has your investing approach kind of changed or grown over time? I think I've just gotten more and more educated, man. I mean, the education never ends. I mean, for me, I didn't even mention this before, but I had went to med school and then I got my MBA and then I went to law school. So I actually like learning. I'm a lifelong learner. So I think you, you keep learning more and more about it. You start to learn more and more about the intricacies of the underwriting and you can never, you know, that, that learning curve never stops, man. And you can always get better. And why do you think people, some people succeed 
when it comes to this space and other people fail? I think some people, their only motivation is money, which is fine. Um, but to a certain extent, you've got to have, you got to have that why. I mean, people say that and it's a little wishy-washy, you know, but you really do. I mean, and for me, it comes down to people. Like usually you've got to tie that why to a person or people. You know, if you have a general sense, like you want to help your clients, like you actually do, you're not just saying it, but you do. Like you used to be in their shoes and you want to help them invest in something because you've done it. You've done, for me, I did fix and flips and all that kind of stuff to have to figure it out that I don't have time for that stuff. Uh, and to show them that there are other ways to do it. You can do the passive investing. And then eventually, if you want to, maybe you can scale back and do some active investing. Um, but again, it comes down to finding that why, maybe finding that who, uh, the people that are going to motivate you to keep going and succeed. Yeah, it's really critical to have support, to be working with the right partners, have the right coaches and mentors, people to support you out in your life and what you're trying to do and have the right advisors to be able to make sure you're making those right decisions. What advice would you have about what great books or resources would you recommend people to be able to grow in that space? Yeah, I mean, there are a ton of great books and, and podcasts out there like your own, like mine. I mean, I always got started. I got started with Bigger Pockets. Um, I've kind of outgrown that a little bit at this point, but, you know, listen to podcasts, whatever interests you. And then I think you've got to start getting to a point where you can put those things in a strategic order. So podcasts kind of jump around a little bit with the subject matter. Then you move on to books and they can kind of put it in an order. You can understand it and grow with. And then I would recommend obviously getting a, a mentor or a coach carefully and finding a good one that can kind of help you along the way, because that, that will really accelerate your growth. Absolutely. Well, this has been phenomenal. It's been great diving in with you. I think there's been some good lessons that people can take away and I hope that they take some action on them. Where can people find out more about you or get in touch? Yeah, check out attorneybydesign.com. Uh, download uh, my lead magnet. It, it is a guide to help you get started in passive investing uh, just to kind of set the table for you. And you can find me on social media, uh, Seth Paul Bradley, and listen to the podcast, Passive Income Attorney. Awesome. Well, it was great having you and I look forward to the next time we can hang out. All right. Thanks, Stephen. Today's episode is sponsored by Von Finch Capital. If you're interested in investing alongside me in the same type of real estate opportunities that I personally invest in, then head over to Von Finch Capital and join their private investor network. You can do so at vonfinch.com slash invest. Join me on that next deal. And I look forward to seeing you on the inside. listening to the investor mindset podcast if you like what you heard make sure to rate review subscribe and share it with a friend head over to the investormindset.com to join the insider club where we share tools and strategies from the top investors and entrepreneurs on how to take it to the next level